your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. We're going to do this again. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski in here on a Friday, as he is always. But this is a pre-Super Bowl Friday, and Anthony Chagoski, I would say, as as guests that join us this Friday, he's maybe the Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes of of guests. Coming up in a couple of minutes, Dr. Charles Franklin, the Marquette Law School poll architect, is going to join us. More the Taylor Swift of... Charles Franklin is Taylor Swift level. Okay, so Marquette poll came out a couple days ago. Yes. And me and you love to look at this. You, It's your job. It is. In a way that's like UWL as a political scientist, UWL and political science people want you to study this, yep. right? For me, it's fun to talk about and it's my job. But if I didn't talk about it, nobody would, nobody would care one way or the other. But when it comes to the Marquette poll, you know... Who is Donald Trump reading the Marquette Law School poll? Not maybe not him per se, but Joe Biden, Donald Trump are his team is his team, their team looking at this and going, oh, no, or oh, good. Absolutely. Politicians pay close attention to the Marquette Law poll because this poll is top notch. It's the best of the best when it comes to sophisticated, accurate methodology and reliable data. So to provide an example of this, Rick. The numbers from the Marquette poll that came out showed that Nikki Haley would do very well potentially against Joe Biden in a 2024 presidential matchup. So what did Nikki Haley's team do? They hyped these survey results and tried to get people to notice them. Um, All right. So obviously the top of the top is looking at this Marquette poll. Best of the best. And we've got the guy that creates it. We got him. We've we've talked to him before and we talked a little bit. So I don't want to do this again because if you want to go back and listen to the podcast, but the creation of it, why is the Marquette poll? Why do we trust it? Because of its track record of accuracy and because you have an expert in political methodology, an expert in survey research, Dr. Charles Franklin, who runs it. So you've got the right person in charge and you've got a track record of reliable results. And the Wisconsin political world stops and watches the results when they're being released. And that was the case on Wednesday. Yeah, I would say when we talked a couple, maybe a couple of weeks ago about where the money is flowing for ads to get to swing the presidential election, to swing November, um, a lot of like $15 billion being spent. I think it was 15 billion in ads, but most of that is going to like what? Seven states. Yeah. Yeah. And those seven states, um, Arizona's one, right? Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and maybe North Carolina. Okay, so do those states have a Marquette poll? Not not Marquette, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because Yeah, yeah. Other states do not have a top quality poll in the way that Wisconsin does. Now there are great polling outfits all around the nation, but Marquette stands out as being particularly high quality. Okay, so we have A, we have a poll that we can trust. Absolutely. And B, we have a poll that we could trust in maybe the most important state when it comes to the November election. You can make the argument that this is the most important state. I mean, I can fast forward us to November 2024 or October of this year. The political world around the country is going to be stopping and watching when the Marquette numbers come out to try to indicate where Wisconsin is going to go in the presidential election. All right. Dr. Charles Franklin coming up. 
All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom in the studio with me, UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski, as he is most Fridays. And on the phone with us now is Dr. Charles Franklin, the prof- uh, professor at law and public policy at Marquette and the director of the Marquette Law School poll that came out just a couple of days ago. Charles, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right. Before we deep dive, Chergoski is all giddy about getting you on and deep diving <laughs> into this poll and what it means. And obviously it's an election year, so this thing means more than anything else. We've got so we got to start with a little bit of ridiculous. So I want we want to ask you, and I'll give you a, a, a well, I'll filibuster for a minute, but anything, if you could throw prestige out the window and um, and you could just ask your ask your poll people anything in the world, just to put it on the poll. It doesn't have to be politics related. Just think about it, and and Chagoski and I'll give you a, give you ours. Chagoski, you want to give him if you could throw anything on the this prestigious Marquette Law School poll because you know you're going to get an honest answer. What would you throw on there, Chagoski? Yeah, I've got two ideas, Charles. I've got one question where we could ask like, what is up north? Like, at what point? In Wisconsin, are you up north? And my second idea is a philosophical debate that I've had with one of my colleagues. And that very important philosophical debate is, is a hot dog a sandwich? Now, to get into the polling geek lingo, I would want to know, A, how many people think a hot dog is or is not a sandwich. And then I want to see the cross tabs. I want to know the, oh, I want to know the demographics of people who <laughs> do think or do not think a hot dog is a sandwich. I got to understand this on a deeper level. Should we go as far as to make it political, too? How many Republicans believe a hot dog is a sandwich? That is exactly the stuff I want to know. Like, is there a partisan divide on if a hot dog is a sandwich? Because I feel like it wouldn't be. And some of these questions on the poll this week don't have a partisan divide, right? Some of the the answers? Yeah. Um, The other one, Charles, and and also with up north, we have to define it. So it's not yes, no. What is up north? So we got to go like Highway 29. Correct. Is Wisconsin in general up north? Is it like the the you know there's another highway further up north that I can't think 64. of? Sixty four. You know, and I then, feel like most people would say twenty nine. I, I don't know if that's a controversial statement. Maybe right. that's what I would say. Right, twenty nine. Until you say Minneapolis is up north, right. and then you're like, well, right. I don't know. Um, and then another one, Charles, and I didn't deep dive into this, and maybe Chagoski would have a better way to do it, but you don't have, and I feel like you missed out on an opportunity here. But maybe it was just because it didn't, the timing didn't work when you when you call and ask these people the question. You don't have Taylor Swift on your poll, and I feel like you missed out on a giant opportunity to get headlines across the nation. Had you put a Taylor Swift political question on the poll, did you ever think about doing it? Uh, no, but it does fit in well with Chergovsky's questions. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and we'll let, uh, on this one, I would expect we would see a partisan divide. Yeah, definitely. It would, it would be, and you know what? I did see some polling that said a lot. It was a Republican poll, and it was like Republicans also kind of fed up with making Taylor Swift political. They did. They they kind of like her too. So, um, it, so in, in in reality, it might have been an interesting poll to see. Wow, actually, Republicans that are answering this poll like Taylor Swift. We we want to know as a nation. Maybe next month. <clears throat> Sounds like the things America needs to know. <laughs> right. um, all right. So it, you you think about it, and if you come up with a good, unless you have one, do you have, like, if, if I could throw all prestige out of my poll, what would I ask? Do you have one or not? Oh, yeah, I have one. I actually have two, since you guys are into twos. So the first one is one that's sort of my favorite dumb question around Thanksgiving, and it is, when it comes right down to it, do you really like turkey? <laughs> 
Oh, we Charles, we have this debate all the time, but it's not turkey; it's green bean casserole <laughs> and, and and cranberry well, fluff. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, you know, the, we could have a whole battery with regional variation in what's yes. the most hated Thanksgiving food. I feel like you could take this poll, the 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 process of which you use, you create this poll. And and do some other Marquette law polls, but throw the law out of it and just make them general polls like YouGov, right? Like YouGov does this a lot. You should have like the ridiculous Marquette poll and put it out on April first. <laughs> it's like it's yeah, like, I'll do that right before my retirement. <laughs> yeah, I, I also I, in a, in this reality, Charles, you're not doing anything else either. You have all the time in the world. So now I'm starting to think. You know what? This guy's probably pretty busy, and creating this poll probably takes a lot of work. Nah, none at all. There's plenty of room for this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> April 1st, we so expect my second, it. My yep. second ridiculous question is, have you ever heard of the Marquette Law School poll? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet that's a pretty low number, but I just want to know how low it is. Yeah, that would honestly, that would be kind of interesting because then some people will come in knowing the prestige of the Marquette Law School poll because they're, they're into it and want to hear its release. Other people will, you know... Because people roll their eyes at polls, right? A lot of people, I don't know how yeah. you how do you get this, but they're Oddly like, I can't. Enough. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll never ask that one, but I am kind of tempted. <laughs> Maybe we'll ask it. We'll ask it on our Twitter problem. Um, all right. Chergosky's got kind of a top six of what he pulled from the poll. And obviously, we did this two seconds before the show. So it's, <laughs> he, he might be missing one or two. But here are Chergosky's, like top six that he thought were great that you had in this <laughs> And do you have one that's that you you're kind of mad that he left out, Chagas? No, I I, w- I was really interested in a lot that was included in the poll, Charles. But of course, the headline is that in your survey of likely voters in Wisconsin, Donald Trump is at forty nine percent and Joe Biden is at forty nine percent. But when you look at Biden versus Haley. Haley takes the 57% to 41% lead over Biden. What's going on under the hood there that causes Nikki Haley to have this lead in the head-to-head against Biden, but then, on the other hand, causes Biden and Trump to be knotted up at 49% in in your numbers? Yeah, I think this is really the key thing. Uh, Against Haley, Biden gets his job approval number. Mm. His approval's at 41%. And if you didn't know anything else, you'd go, how can a guy at 41% possibly win the election? And against somebody other than Donald Trump, doesn't look like he can. People vote their approval level of him. But when it's against Trump, it's tied. I think the reason is both of these candidates have a lot of negatives going against them. And when you put the two negative guys against each other, it's evening out right now at that 49-49 tie. With Haley, lots of people here still don't actually know very much about her. They say so in the poll that, you know, yeah, they have a favorable or unfavorable opinion, but they don't know a lot. Um, And so she really doesn't raise the ire of people that don't like Trump. She's just a Republican. Uh, And as a result, what you see is that antipathy to Biden and the even reluctance among some Democrats to support him, but not against Trump. They'll vote for Biden over Trump. But if you give them Haley in our poll, 15 percent of Democrats would vote for Biden. I mean, vote for Haley um, in in that matchup, 
where it's like 5% against Trump. It's a striking finding, and it relates to the thing I put next on my list of items I found notable. And my next item was the lack of enthusiasm about voting. You looked at enthusiasm over time. Are people very enthusiastic about voting in this election? Somewhat enthusiastic, not too enthusiastic. Charles, it just seems night and day when you look at the levels of enthusiasm now versus this time in the 2020 cycle. It's a huge difference, and it may matter come fall. Um, This time, 49% said very enthusiastic about voting in November. In January of 2020, so the same time of the year, it was 70%, a 21-point difference. Uh, it's okay. gone up just slightly since November, so maybe it'll keep rising can, over the year. Can I interject, you guys? Okay, so when you, you're comparing 2020 and 2024, right? Would it be? Would, and maybe you have this. Would it be more relevant to compare 2016 when we have an unlikable Hillary Clinton on the ballot and a unlikable? I don't know. Is it, or or is that not not relevant because Donald Trump was a newcomer at that point? Oh, I think it's relevant, only the damn fool that runs the poll didn't include the enthusiasm <laughs> question in January 2016. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Otherwise, okay. I'd be happy to make the comparison. <laughs> yeah, be not, yeah, be, that would have been a nice one. Yeah, do you, okay, so uh, just in, in creating the poll, do you start learning, and how long have you been doing the poll, Charles? Uh, since 2012, so a dozen years. Okay. And an example is good for 2016. We did ask enthusiasm, but we didn't ask it until later in the year. Okay. Over time, I've learned that that's something worth asking throughout the election year so we can follow how it changes. But I was still a little ignorant in 2016. <laughs> Do you have a lot of questions that you go, I have to ask this question every year this month? You know, every, well, or maybe every four years or every two years because they're political. Um, this question, just so you can draw that baseline from years past? Mm- Indeed, I do, and the problem is that list gets bigger and bigger, (laughs) but the length of the survey can't get any longer. And so you're always trying to choose, what do I want here precisely so we can show these continuity and changes over time? And what are the things that we'll ask just occasionally, but not actually every single time? So, for example, we asked about marijuana this time. Uh, because it's come up in the legislature. And we've asked about it a number of times over the last 12 years, but we don't ask that one every single time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I will just say, Chagoski thundered in here with the printout, 49 pages. He's got it I'm stapled. holding it up on the Facebook Live. I've got the 50-page document that, I've been print, that I printed out and been marking up in my office this afternoon. And and he didn't do it two sided because he can't he has to have each individual page so he can throw it together otherwise it'll get out of order so all right Tregoski. absolutely I'm with you completely on that <laughs> number are we at number three on the list yeah here? number three on the list actually I'll skip ahead to number four because it's related to the issue of enthusiasm and this is a group Charles that I've come to call the double dislikers the people who yep. dislike both Trump and Biden you found that there's a pretty significant number of them out there. And my theory about the 2024 election is that it really could come down to those double dislikers, the people who don't like either Trump or Biden, if we just assume that that will be the matchup. Will the double dislikers vote in the first place? And then if they do vote, who will they vote for? So what have you noticed over time and in your analysis of the results about the folks out there who just say, I don't like either of these guys? 
Now, there are important, they are an important group. That's 18% in this sample that dislike both Biden and Trump. Um, now, here we do have a comparison. In 2016, that was running about 28%, mm. though close to the election, it came down to about 21%. Mm-hmm. So 21 would be a little bit higher than where okay. we are right now. So so right now, more people like Trump and Biden than people liked both or dis- more people like Trump and Biden now than disliked Hillary and Trump at, in 2016. The right? double dislikers. Right. Yeah. We're, that's kind of interesting because right. I feel like that number would be at least that, that's not very close. Charles, do you think that well, number could well, change during the campaign? Let, sure. me, let me say it one more time just to make sure I've said it right. The double dislikers are 18% now, yeah. but they were 28% in 2016. Yeah, we really dislike... In 2020, though, in 2020, though, it was about 12%. Ah. So, yep. with the same pair of candidates, double dislikers are up about six points compared to where okay. they were four years ago. Yep, that makes sense. Do you expect that that number could change during the campaign, Charles? Just the number of people could you know go up or down, the number of people who have unfavorable views of both candidates? I think it's likely to go down some as people realize that they have to make a choice between these two, assuming that's what happens. <laughs> um, and as they do that, you know, people who are reluctant to support one or the other in their party are going to tend to be drawn back into their party and decide they like that person a little bit better. Donald Trump had relatively low favorability numbers, relatively high unfavorables in 2016. But after the Republican convention in 2016, he became the official nominee. We saw his favorability go up in Wisconsin through the fall and his unfavorables go down. Now it's a different world because we know both of these guys so well. I don't know that it'll move a lot, but past elections there has been some decline in the um, double uh, double dislikers. We're speaking with Dr. Charles Franklin, the prof- uh, professor of law and public policy at Marquette. He's also the director of the Marquette Law School poll. And I will say our first polling number for is a hot dog a sandwich Republican. I don't know Joe's age, but he's a Republican and he does think. A hot dog is a sandwich, so we're well, we're 100. It obviously is. I mean, I don't I don't know why there would be any disagreement about that. Oh, wait, but my wait, I read it wrong. Polling mistake. See, this is the problem with polling. <laughs> I read it wrong. Joe thinks uh, it does not think a hot dog. Oh is a sandwich. Well, well, sorry, Joe. There's there's just going to be a friendly disagreement between us then. All right, we got to take. We're going to take a minute break. We'll <laughs> we'll come back with Dr. Charles Franklin in a minute. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Interrupting my Taylor Swift all week music because Doctor, when Doctor Charles Franklin says he wants Deep Purple, we play Deep Purple around here. It's uh, it's by request Friday, all request Friday. <laughs> it's a request line uh, Friday. Doctor Charles Franklin <laughs> is the architect of the Marquette Law School poll that came out this week, and UW Lacrosse Political Science pro- Professor Doctor Anthony Jagoski is just taking over the show to grill him about this, and he'll probably write some thesis on this uh, over the summer, Charles. <laughs> Or over the, or, you know, over the next month. It's dangerous to have two political scientists on the air at once. I don't have to do anything. This is great. <laughs> this is a great show for me. But um, yeah, thanks again, Charles, for joining us. Happy to be here. Grill away. <laughs> All right, Chagoski. We we jumped number three on your list. You went right down to double dislikers. We learned that 
people dislike Trump and Biden more now than they did in 2020, I think. Right. Uh, but less than we lo- disliked Hillary and Trump in 2016, which I thought was interesting. But number three on your list of uh, most interesting things from the Marquette Law School poll. Yeah, Charles, I have this theory that the campaign and how voters perceive their choices, I, I think things could change a bit as it continues to sink in that we are most likely heading towards a Biden-Trump rematch because you asked people, do you think Biden will definitely be the nominee, probably be the nominee, probably not, definitely not be the nominee? You asked the same thing about Trump as the potential nominee. And you found that quite a few people aren't totally sure if either of them is going to be the nominee. Uh, 40% of people said that Biden will definitely be the nominee. 34% of people said Trump definitely will be the nominee. So as we trend towards the outcome of this being a rematch, do you think that could change the campaign? Do you think it could affect the campaign as voters Wait a maybe minute, no. realize, hey, this is going to be a rematch? Before he answers, so we well, most people don't think that or, or like around 30, 40 percent think they won't. Ha- these two guys won't be on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what you found, Charles, that a lot of people were not. A hundred percent sure that Biden or Trump would be the nominee. Okay, first of all, is that Charles? Have you ever had to put that question on the on the poll before? I mean, not not no. in the past. Okay, that's kind of ridiculous, no. right? It, is it ridiculous? Well, and it's there because I keep running into people who assure me that one or the other of them will drop out of the race, yep. and it'll be somebody new. And I find that kind of surprising, but it's it's happened so often that I thought it was time to really ask the question. It's especially true of the opposite party. Mm. So about 30% of Republicans say Biden definitely or probably won't be the nominee, or they don't know. And on the Democratic side, it's more like 20% saying Trump won't be the nominee. But that's still kind of a high level when you look at where we are in the primary season and who's on the ballot and, you know, how Nikki Haley is you know, doing and barely hanging okay. on in the primary. With two political science guys on here, <laughs> is do people just need to stop thinking about like Trump and Biden aren't going to be the nominees? They're not going unless something happens. They're not going to drop out willingly because Biden's memory is going or Donald Trump this or that. They're not going to drop out, well, right? And and I'm totally with Charles here because anecdotally. I've run into so many people who say it could not possibly be them, right? Or, you know, the Democrats are going to replace Biden with Michelle Obama or Donald Trump will be replaced at the convention. And I'm with Charles on this. I think it's extremely useful to ask people, do you actually think Biden will be the nominee? Do you actually think Trump will be the nominee? And, And Charles, do you think that's a valuable lens through which to view some of the other results of this poll? Maybe the lens through which... It is starting to sink in, but maybe hasn't completely sunk in that we're heading towards a rematch here? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the reasons that we're seeing people think that the other guy won't be on or even their own guy won't be the nominee is saying it's the early on, it's the wishing for a perfect candidate to emerge. Mm -hmm. And you saw that a lot last year with. Democrats in particular saying they didn't really want Biden to run again. But you asked them, who would you want to run? And it turned out people didn't have any specific ideas. They just imagined there was a better person out there. Well, sorry, folks, the trains left the station on both sides now. And I think sometime between now and midsummer, when the Republican convention comes to Milwaukee, 
people will realize who the choices are, and this is what you've got to deal with. So, you know, um, let's just see. But the point is, people will come to the realization that these are their choices. Right. They'll either choose the Dem or the Rep, or they'll be so unhappy with those that they'll consider third party or not voting for president. Okay, we don't need a poll about this, but as you guys are historians, too, in political science, have we ever had a pair of candidates that we'd like we dislike more i mean in history is there like you know these two guys are on the ballot and i say guys because it's always been guys these two guys are in the ballot and nobody liked either of them like yeah, more- at clinton and clinton and trump in 16 is the only similar example you know worse example okay. of course i said the guys come 2016 <laughs> we almost never had either presidential candidate be net negative on favorability uh, maybe dipped into negative territory once or twice, but Romney in 2012 was mostly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, John McCain uh, was mostly positive. And before that, basically every presidential candidate was at least a little bit positive, while the winner was quite a bit positive. We're speaking with Dr. Charles Franklin, the architect of Marquette Law School poll, which came out this week. So we're deep diving here with UW Lacrosse political science professor Anthony Chagoski on it. All right, Chagoski, what's next? Yeah, next on my list, Charles, were a couple issues in Wisconsin. You polled survey. You polled uh, likely voters about the redistricting decision from the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. By my math, forty-two percent favored the ruling to have new maps for the legislative districts. 34% opposed it. A lot of people there not having an opinion. And as you found, there was a clear breakdown by party. What stood out to you on the poll question, the poll results on redistricting in Wisconsin? The number one thing is that fully a quarter of the state don't have any opinion about this. This is you know, the hottest political topic in Madison (laughs) for at least the months of December, January, and February. Um, and it's gotten a fair bit of news coverage, or let me just say it, a lot of news coverage. It's a very important political issue. And yet, despite that, while the most involved people are hot and bothered about it, a quarter are not paying enough attention or don't know about it or haven't heard much about it. Uh, I think that's the number one thing. Opinion is slightly in favor of the redistricting. But it's, as you said, 42%. It's not, you know, a majority. Right. But it's bigger than the percent opposed. So what? it's not an unpopular decision, but lots of people don't know about it. Okay. Well, well, what does that say about voters in Wisconsin, or at least people that, well, people that took your poll because they're registered voters, right? What does that say? Do we as a media have to do a better job of making people understand this? Um, do politicians have to do a better job of, of making, I don't know, like, is there something, because I feel like this is so important that maybe people should be better informed. Uh, well, we, we might wish that. Uh, but I don't think it's for lack of coverage of redistricting, yeah. at least where the news media I attend to have all covered it. I think partly it's the process story. Sure. You know, we always talk about this, that when you're talking about how the legislature makes the sausages, People just, their eyes glaze over about that stuff. Also, this is a Supreme Court decision. People don't routinely rush out to read about the Supreme Court every day. It's a terribly important decision, don't get me wrong. But it's not the sort of uh, issue that a lot of voters really attach themselves to because they have passionate interests on it 
again, there's certainly people very motivated to be concerned about redistricting, but it's important to realize they just don't represent um, a super majority of the public. Yeah, Charles, you're on to something there, though, equating sausages and making the sausages with how redistricting happens, how maps are made. If we can get that on there, you know, hot dog, a sandwich, sausage, ah. how it's made, this would this would boost this poll nationally. <laughs> I think the whole nation would look at this poll. Don't and they be do like, a sausage race at the Brewers game? Yes, they do. Brother. They do indeed. <laughs> they do. Okay, well, we'll we'll have to work that in too as well. All right, Chagoski, what else? Yeah, Charles, uh, the final thing I had on my list was marijuana. You found overwhelming approval for marijuana legalization when it comes to medical. And then when it comes to more general legalization, it was still a majority, not quite to the level of the support for medical marijuana. At this point, is it just the case that there is an overwhelming bipartisan majority for medical marijuana? I mean, is that kind of the bottom line here? Yeah, it certainly is. That For medical, it was in the high 80s. For marijuana in general, it was in the mid-60s. Uh, neither of those m- numbers have changed much over the last five or six years. We last asked about medical in 2019, and it was in the 80s. Mm. We last asked about <laughs> recreational or marijuana in general. We didn't use the term recreational in uh, the fall of 2022, and it was also in the mid-60s where it is now. There's been a big move in general legalization from 2012 when it was more a 50-50 proposition or even a majority opposed to legalization. So there has been movement over time. But over the last, I'm going to call it five or six years, uh, legalization has been in the 60s and hasn't been trending up or down. Also, legalization in general was a 50-50 split among Republican voters, but with sizable independent and especially Democratic majorities in favor. And Rick, this is a really good example of why it's important to analyze poll numbers on a deeper level than just looking at the percentage in favor or opposed. We need to look at the party divide because Charles mentioned something that is really relevant to understanding the politics of marijuana. So a strong majority of Republicans support legalizing medical marijuana, but as Charles noted, when you look at legalization more generally, Republican voters are split right down the middle. They're split in half. And you better believe that that really influences the politics of this issue in Madison. Yeah, I was just going to say, because when you said that the numbers have kind of been the same for years and years, I'm like, what are we doing? At least make a move on some of this. 86% is 86% for medical marijuana. And the legislature has been sitting on their hands the whole time on this. Charles, it's interesting that you've noticed movement on general legalization, but you haven't noticed anything on medical marijuana. And, and from your discussion, it sounds like these things are moving in one direction. You haven't picked up any evidence that the opposition is really gaining any steam here. Definitely. We've not seen any rise in opposition. And medical, we hadn't asked before 2019. We've only asked it twice because it was such an overwhelming majority. And the legislature wasn't acting on it. But in this latest poll, 78% of Republicans favor legalization of medical marijuana. And what has the legislature talked about? It's exactly the medical marijuana where a big Republican majority favors that. It's not movement on the broader issue where the partisans are very, the Republicans are very evenly divided. We're speaking with Dr. Charles Franklin, the uh, Marquette Law School poll creator. 
the law school poll came out this week. Okay, so I want to kind of attribute one thing that happened in the legislature over the last couple of months with this marijuana thing. County boards used to put medical marijuana or legal a legalization question, which a lot of you know in each county you could you could just report on how the county voted on legalization. Shared revenue deal took away counties and municipalities' ability to put non-binding referendum questions or or, or or questions like that on the ballot. And does that affect you as a, a creator of a poll throughout the state in, in any, any way, Charles? Not directly. The county referenda are maybe important signals of what local areas think on an issue. But from my polling perspective, I can never poll on a single county. And therefore, it doesn't really help very much. What was useful from my point of view was when we did have a number of marijuana referenda at roughly the same time, Mm -hmm. they passed pretty substantially, which reinforced that our polling about the issue was capturing that sentiment. There's a big debate these days about issue polling and whether asking questions about issues really captures what voters really want. And so one way to answer that question is, well, do the referenda come out about the same way as the polls do? And recently that's been true in the marijuana case. It was true in abortion referenda in the last two years. But it's sometimes not true, especially on gun issues, for example, where majorities favor restrictions on guns, but referenda on guns usually fail. Okay, well, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I, yeah, and I was thinking, like, if if multiple counties and you like you like you said, if they all do it at the same time, but if the numbers came out wonky, where one county was for it and another county was against it on the same ballot, that might that might lead you to go, oh, I definitely need to ask this question because nobody seems to have a handle on it, right or not? Well, it would be useful. It would show that there's real heterogeneity on the issue across the state, that we really do have some areas that favor strongly or oppose strongly. And then I would want to know, well, what's the difference between those places? Why is that happening? Yeah, yeah, it's it just seems kind of kind of interesting to me. Do you ever do you ever regret regret having a question? You're like, oh, the the I don't know if the polling numbers come out, and you go, well, or or just like, oh, that you know what, that just uh, like I, I probably didn't need to put that one on the on the poll. I, I've never regretted a result because I think public opinion is interesting and important, no matter which way it comes out, whether I'm happy or unhappy with the <laughs> result. Um, but the one I really regret was a question about um, um, parole requirements for prisoners. And I wrote the most convoluted question that turned out to be so bad that the interviewers after the first night said, nobody understands what this question is about. So we took it off the survey that night and didn't continue asking my stupid, dumb question. <laughs> well, you know what? I think that goes with redistricting, and you throw a term out like gerrymandering. Nobody knows Absolutely. what that is. Wisconsin yep. doesn't even have parole, so that they it, it doesn't exist. It's a different system. So, like, some people are grandfathered into parole, but there is no parole anymore. So, And maybe that's what you learned as you were starting to ask that. Well, I think the yeah. The, The bigger question, though, is when you get to a complicated policy question, how do you ask that in an intelligible way? (laughs) And that is always a problem when you get into issues where there's a whole lot of complications in whatever the topic is. Is that the opposite of what I'm thinking? You say, how do you ask that in an intelligible way? In my head, I'm going, how do you dumb it down enough 
to get people to understand it. Is that the same thing, or are we saying the opposite things there? Well, (laughs) I guess they're mirror images of each other. The real problem is you cannot assume that everybody knows every detail of whatever the policy is. Look at the 25% that aren't aware of the redistricting decision. But do we want to actually talk about the basis of that decision? Do we want to say, do you think contiguity is really important in districting? You know, which is part of the decision for those who haven't read the decision lately. Um, But but that's a, a good example of those details. The medical marijuana discussion in Madison this last month you know, included things about a very limited number of dispensaries, the kind of prescriptions you had, the nature of the drug you could get. We couldn't possibly ask people a question that went into that detail with any notion that they understood and had read about all those details. So we just asked, do you favor or oppose the legalization of marijuana for medical purposes? That's Dr. Charles Franklin, the architect of the Marquette Law School, Paul. I appreciate you coming on, spending some time with us. Charles, uh, I called you the Taylor Swift of public opinion research. I hope that's okay. Uh, that is really bad to Taylor Swift. I don't think she would recognize the resemblance. All right, it's National Pizza Day, Charles, so make sure you uh, you have a couple of slices here for supper. Appreciate it. Will do. Take care. Thank, Thank you, Charles. All right, thanks. All right, we got to take one more break. We'll be back. All right, back on track here, Taylor Swift, Anthony Tregoski. <laughs> All right, so I, I got to... I, I, I am a Swifty. I mean, I fully admit that I am rooting for the Chiefs mainly because I think it'd be kind of cool if Taylor and Travis were Super Bowl champions. And they kiss each other and then endorse Joe Biden, right? And how about this? <laughs> how about this? Hold on to your seat here. What if the Chiefs win... And Kelsey proposes to Taylor Swift on the field after the game. It's as it's as dumb a theory as <laughs> them two endorsing Joe Biden. Do they endorse Joe Biden right before the proposal or right after? <laughs> right. <laughs> I did read that poll that was like Republicans, you know, asking Republicans about it, and they're like, "We like Taylor Swift, yeah. and we think it's stupid that the TV stations, the Fox Newses, and everything, even our show, kind of we didn't we didn't talk about them in a negative light, but like we talked about the ridiculousness of it last week." Okay, so Kevin has just going back to the Marquette poll. And they, these two candidates are like the most unlikable two candidates ever or almost. I mean, basically that Charles Franklin of the Marquette Law School poll was saying that he's never seen something like this. Or it's just very rare to see two major presidential candidates who are so unpopular. And and we alluded to 2016 and the poll only goes back to 2012. And I right. asked you guys because I thought maybe you'd go like Abe Lincoln and, and so, Grover Cleveland and like the two most hated two candidates, Republican, Democrat. We hate them both. Well, we, we don't have public opinion survey research going right. back forever, but 2016 would definitely come to mind another situation where the two candidates were not yeah. overwhelmingly popular okay. or not even. You know, so Kevin, way. Kevin just asked, what are we doing? Like, how do yeah. these two, if we hate these two candidates so much, then how are they on the ballot? What are we doing? It's a great question, Kevin. The simple answer is a lack of coordination 
among the anti-Biden wing of the Democratic Party and a lack of coordination among the anti-Trump wing of the Republican Party. Theoretically, someone could have emerged on the Democratic Party side to launch a campaign against Biden, but no one did that because maybe they're scared for their political career. That's, maybe we've th- talked about this. They're, yeah. they're scared that they won't get the backing in the future from the Democratic Party. It, Essentially, they won't get the money. The question Who wants to take that plunge when there's so much risk attached to it? Who wants to take the plunge on the Democratic side, go against Biden, when that could potentially ruin your political career? Who's going to take the plunge? The answer was no one. Well, Dean Phillips, but we saw how that It's really funny because not that Donald Trump was a political person, but he took the plunge in 2016. Not that he was going to get the backing of a political party anyway, but he took the plunge and and took over, took over the whole like we as a nation and even as Democrats, like, hey, we're just ready for the outsider to take over, too. Yeah. If someone had taken the plunge, someone with more name recognition or credibility than Dean Phillips, theoretically, they could have launched a serious challenge to Biden, but that never happened. See, and I talk about coordination, Rick, because on the Republican side. There was a decent number of Republican voters who might have considered someone other than Trump, but they had to have one person to unify behind. And there was never that one person who was the anti-Trump candidate, the, hey, everyone who doesn't want Trump, vote for me. There was never one person who could consolidate the non-Trump voters. Yeah, and and usually an incumbent is just not going to be challenged. That's a big reason, yeah. All right, thank you, everybody, for listening and texting. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks.